Yo, yo, mobile homies, Instagram live, another episode, where's everybody at? Yeah, mobile homies, Instagram live, I am back with y'all, you know what it is, man, lyrics born, this one, I cannot wait to get into this, I mean, this is such a huge, uh, moment for me not just as a as a guy that makes music but as a fan as an aficionado as a musicologist you know I am Kwame is the guest this afternoon Mm, crazy this is what I got into the game for you know what I mean uh so my man is going to tap in any moment. If you knew him as a as a solo artist and as a rapper, then you know him from his 80s and 90s work. But he's gone on to be such an incredible producer and just a force. You know what I mean? There he is. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to this. Yo, what's the deal, man? Wow, how you doing, brother? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing. Wow, how you doing, brother? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I want to say I've been looking forward to this for two weeks, man. You know. Oh, word. Thank you. Yeah. So this is something that um. You know, I was just doing a, a, a short intro before you got on. Okay. And uh, I want to do it again because now you're here. You know. Uh, oh man, you gonna talk about me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, this is a guy that a, a rapper and a producer and a performer, but an inventor, and not only an inventor. A reinventor. Okay. And, um, you know, he's created so many iconic moments, special moments in hip-hop history. And not not just from a part of the early year, only one part of his career, the first part of his career, uh, and but but moving forward into into the new millennium. I think that... uh, we're going to get into all of that. There are so many special moments here to cover. Put your hands together for Kwame. Right, there you go. There he is. Well, thank you. Thank you for those those kind words, man. Usually, uh, kind words make me squirm. So, but I thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. So, we have a lot of ground to cover here because... I think of all the people that uh, I've spoke to, and we do this every week on Mobile Homies, you have probably the longest active career out of any artist uh, that we've had on here. And, it, you know, because you started at such a young age. As yeah. A, um, let's walk that back. You know, I would like to talk about your origin. Okay. Yeah. So, what, what? At what point? At what point of the origin would you like to know? Like, right. So, it's like a, 
it's like a, a, a dual community, East right. Elmhurst Corona. So we usually just say East Elmhurst Corona. Yep. Okay. And this region has produced so many artists, East Elmhurst and Corona. Yes. Every, everybody from, well, Corona, Fuji Rap, right? East Elmhurst, Salt and Pepper, am I right? Um, kind of, yeah, but kind of. Kid and Play. Yes. Okay. Herb, was Herb from, was Herbie Lovebug from? <clears throat> yes, Herbie Lovebug from East Elmhurst. Okay. So Pepper into the neighborhood. Right. And, and y'all were a crew. Yeah. This was a crew, right? Yeah. So how did that happen? Because you were a child at the time, basically. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, we were all pretty much kids, but just to give you a brief a brief synopsis of East Elmhurst yeah. um, Corona. East Elmhurst, the neighborhood that when the black population of New York City started becoming what we consider middle class, um, that was one of the neighborhoods that was migrated to. So you go before us, Armstrong in Corona, Mm -hmm. um, Ella Fitzgerald in East Elmhurst, Harry Belafonte in East Elmhurst, um, uh, Willie Mays, you know, so many different historical figures on my block alone, right up the block from me, 97th Street, is Malcolm X, the house that got bombed, literally 10 houses up. Um, so, so um, now into the 70s and the 80s, and... Um, you have hip hop, and and uh, so within say a ten block radius of me, you have Eric B. The next block over, right? You have Kid, you have Play, Herbie Lovebug, um, who's like one of the main hitmen for um, Puffy, right? Um, you you go further up, you have. Um, for the underground rappers, rappers out there, you have Bumpy Knuckles up the block. You have Cool G Rap, DJ Polo, um, the Beat Nuts. Uh, you know all of these people: Salam Remy, um, Akinelli. You know you 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 further take it a little bit further. You have Large Professor. Right. You have um, Neek the Exotic. You have you know you have uh, uh, Royal Flush. You have Mike Geronimo. You have three neighborhood radius, dreads from Black Sheep. So we're all within all within reach of each other. Um, but the genesis of that hip hop movement would have to be either between, be between G-Rap. What Herbie did was put on most of that list that I made. Yeah from the neighborhood where, you know, like Eric B was doing his thing, but yet Eric and everybody was super cool. Um, and G-Rap and everybody was super cool, but they weren't pulling people out the neighborhood. Um, and by accident, for the most part, you know, Kid and Play was already out before Salt and Pepper. They were in a group called The Fresh Force and they had one record out that was, you know, it was doing all right. She's a skeezer and um, Rock Me and... Um, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, right. Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't know that record, but that's, you know, that's, 
it was based off of my Adidas. She's a skeezer. You know, and and it was <laughs> it was doing a little something around the way. Um and before that, Kid was in a group, the Super Lovers, Play was in a group. I mean, Play was in a group, the Super Lovers with Herbie. Uh, and they were in like separate battling crews, but everybody knew each other. And, um, you know, and, and Herbie was going to like a, a, a audio engineering school. He was working at, uh, yeah. you know, I'm not Ron Lawrence, Martin Lawrence, yeah, the comedian. So they're at Sears. And for the life of me, I still don't understand how Martin Lawrence, who's from D.C., was working at Sears around my way. I still don't. Right. How did that happen? How did... <laughs> I, I don't even know. I, I never, and I never meant, I always meant, mean to ask him, but I right. just, I, I keep forgetting. But, but, so Martin Lawrence is around the way too. And, and, um, Herbie, who f for me is much older, he's like six, seven years older than me. Right. Um, he starts, he goes to school. He, his project is to put out a record or make a song. They make, um, Showstoppers, Salt and Pepper's name was Supernature at the time. That's they right. Showstoppers, this and Dougie Fresh and Slick Three for them. For me, we all went and you know this is weird. I was raised Muslim. My father was a devout Muslim, and I was raised Muslim, but yet I was going to Catholic school <laughs> in the neighborhood. And Herbie went to that school at one point. Um, play went to that school. It's called St. Gabriel's. St. Gabriel's. And, and so we're at St. Gabe's, but Herbie's little brother, Steve, mm. who was one year above me, and I became good friends. Ah. And um, Herbie and Steve lived two blocks from my grandmother, and both of my grandmothers lived in the neighborhood, and my grandmother's homes were like second home. So I could be at any one of these homes at any given time. So being at one grandmother's house, walking up the block, hanging out with Shin of Salt and Pepper, seeing, things, seeing Dana Dane come by, you know, doing that first album, Sweet Tea come by, you know, seeing all that, you know, G-Rap would be over there, Rakim would be over there, Eric B would be over there. Everybody would be at Herbie's house just hanging out, um, you know, for, for, 13 year old 14 year old kid that was just some magic man you know so you were introduced to her through his young you were friends with his younger brother herbie i was introduced personally introduced to herbie because he was the dj at our eighth grade prom <laughs> so that's how <laughs> and and there was the, the teachers pulled me aside at the eighth grade prom was like look kwame this is how deep I was doing, you know, doing it. Right. This is a prom. This is not a rap battle. Do not <laughs> get up there. Do not ask the DJ to DJ. Do not get up there and start rapping. We're here, the eighth grade graduation of St. Gabriel. Okay, Mr. G, I won't do that. But, you know, that was how, you know, and, and I'd be like circling Herbie's, um, you know, turntable, but you know, I want to battle you, right? You know, like I was, I was like one of those guys back in the day. I was like, I'm going to battle everybody. I'll break dance battle you. I'll DJ battle you. I'll rap battle you. Um, and, and Salt was there, but we thought Salt was our age. So all the guys were running around in tuxedos trying to kick it this out of here. Right. Um, so, so 
that's how we were initially introduced. Um, and then from there, you know, I knew that Herbie was my outlet. You know, he, him creating music, it was literally, Steve would call, Herbie's not home, let's go into his room. And we would sneak up into his room and play with the 808s, play with the DX drum machines. I said, I know how to use an 808, all that kind of stuff. And, but there was still no understanding that he was making his, his own history. Yeah. And there was no understanding that just hip hop history it, it in itself was being made. We just saw a bunch of 808s and, and drum machines and turntables. Kids in a candy shop, you know, we wanted to, wanted to learn the skill and, and, and be a part of the culture. So, you know, that's really the inception of how I came into that fold. You know, let's let's talk about Herbie Lovebug for a minute because I, I think that um, you know a lot of these groups, a lot of these moments, they just don't happen without Herbie Lovebug. You know, when you're talking about Salt and Pepper, or you're talking about Kid and Play, or you're talking right into hip hop. You know, I mean, he he was the hub. He was the crux of all yep. of these things. You know, I don't think he really gets his just due. As a as a super producer, you know, in 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 the annals of hip hop history, you know what I mean? Like I I, I and the feel like thing, the super producer. That was his phrase. Salt and Pepper, Salt and Pepper yeah. put that in the back of their first album. Herb yes. Elbug, the super producer, and then yeah. everybody used that phrase. Yeah. From that point, so you know, like, you know, there's a lot of things that he doesn't get credit for, and um. I think um, I think a lot of times people get caught up in other things, like you know, like Salt and Pepper had a falling out with Herbie, you know, over business practices, or or crew mm. would go in and um, and just do whatever they they did outside of Herbie and made names for themselves, but no matter what that outcome was, you got to understand where the genesis is. You understand? You got to understand yeah. biology. Yeah. You know, no matter what. I don't care sure. what anybody thinks of anybody. And, and, and nobody has a negative thought. We speak, we all speak to this day. Um, so nobody has any kind of negativity. But going through life, you know, you have your stumbles or whatever you have. And 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 but nobody tends to uh, mention him enough, you know. You know, but I I think when you talk about you know that that ninety, the three you go past that you got to start at like eighty five really you know from eighty five on out for sure. But I mean, when when the big albums and the big records started happening, yeah, you know, the, the kid and play album, you know, the you know too hype or or something. You know, Salt and Pepper's album, and then your first. I mean, three groups were probably the biggest, arguably the biggest in hip hop at that time. You know, and yeah. he's at the center. Yeah. That. You, you know, it, I'm not saying that he's responsible for all those, but I mean, he he was at the center. He was the hub of all that. And I'm just, you go from. You know, this little kid just hanging out at the house, banging on his 808 when he's not home. Yeah. You know, to becoming this artist 
as a as a early team, you know, who arrived at, at this record deal work? How did that all play? Like what so, was that? So it was, it's a weird it's a weird story because it ended up with Herbie, but it didn't start with Herbie. Mm -hmm. Um my parents were recently divorced mm. or going through a divorce actually. Um my mother remained in Queens. My father, um, me and my little brother moved with my father in to, to Inglewood, New Jersey. How old are you at this time? What, what, and what year is this? I'm like, I don't know, 15. Okay. Um, and, and so, um, it's like 87. Mm-hmm. And I'm still going to school. I go to the high school. And this is, this is the great, this is the magical thing about, I want to say the magical thing about my life, which is weird because I don't usually put it in that terms, but everywhere I've put myself, I've been surrounded by music, great music influence. So I'm in the high school of art and design. And in that high school, at Paul, you know, organized confusion, um, for all the like the street MC, y'all know Percy P, right? Um, Sticky Fingers, um, Prodigy comes in a couple of years later. This is all in New Jersey. This is all in my high school in New York. Oh, in New okay, in New York. So I have my neighborhood full of people. High school is this? High school of art and design. I went to school to be an illustrator. I was gonna be an illustrator as an adult. <laughs> um, mm. And. Um, what part of New York was was that in high school? Dead in the middle, Manhattan, Fifty Second Street and Second Avenue. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So Fifty Seventh and Second, um, and and the high school doesn't even exist anymore. Um, so so uh, at and I'm commuting to Inglewood, New Jersey. While I'm in Inglewood, New Jersey, um, the commute is too much. And I get in trouble in school. And my father, instead of me dealing with the punishment of getting in trouble in school, my father takes me out of high school in art and design and puts me into school in New Jersey. Another thing that's very magical. So I'm now in the high school called Dwight Morrow in Inglewood, New Jersey. Follow me because I go to a lot of high schools. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm in Dwight Morrow and in Dwight Morrow, I run into this kid named Dave, but we all know him as the Redhead Kingpin. Mm. And me and Redhead Kingpin were David like- David Guppy, David Guppy. We are like, <laughs> from the from the beginning. Yeah. Like me and Dave, me and Redhead shoot the town up, man. And we, we were like, we were the worst. <laughs> um, okay. and, and so now me and Redhead Kingpin are running around and there was a a kid um, in our class, Scooch, Leah Robinson, the wow. founder of Sugar Hill Records. So during all of this time, I'm running back and forth to New York. I'm literally sneaking to New York, doing talent shows, going, hanging around Herbie. Um, As a 15-year-old. Yeah, I'm like, I'm telling my pops I'm going to Redhead's house and then I'm too lenient because, you know, when you're going, when your parents are going through a divorce and you're the oldest kid, 
you just get to do anything because everybody want to be nice to you. Um, so right. I'm, I'm sneaking off to, to New York, doing talent shows, say, you know, because I miss my New York people. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be a Jersey kid. Right. No, no diss to the Jersey kids. But, um, you know, and then we meet. So now I have the Jersey crew, the New York crew, and another one of my father's friends, um, his wife was the head of promotions. Mr. Costa was the head of promotions at Sing Together. I have a job at a, a local grocery store. I'm saving up all my money. And I take that money and I, I go to the studio in Queens called Studio 1212. And the, run, the owner of the studio is this Rest in peace, his name is Paul C. And Paul C was a very integral part in early hip hop. Legend. Paul C is a legend. Yes. Very integral part. Yes. And I have no clue of, you know, I know of Paul C's records, but I'm not paying attention that I'm dealing with Paul C. Mm. I but, just know. And for the, not to interrupt, but for the people that, that are watching this that don't know Paul C is Paul C was the producer behind uh well he was a, he was an integral in the integral part of Eric B and Rakim, Main Source, Cool G Rap. Yep. Uh, just, just so many that that but please continue. I know how yeah. to continue. So yeah. so I, I go to Paul and I dump money on the table. It's like out of a movie. I dump all this change and dollar bills on the table. I'm like, okay, how much money can I get? Uh, how much time can I get right. with, this, with this money? And Paul was like, well, the only studio time I have is Christmas morning, <laughs> midnight to 8 o'clock in the morning. Right. Um, Paul was trying to get that money, man. He didn't, he didn't care. Yes. And I was like, so I decided to I get go from Jersey back to Queens midnight. Um and and Paul was like, I can make the beats for you. I was like, I don't I don't need you to make me nothing. Just show me, just set it up and mm -hmm. you can go. <laughs> and so he set up the SB twelve. So you told Paul say he can go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't got no time for all this. Because <laughs> I, I knew exactly what I wanted to make. Right. I, I pretty much studied how to make um, tracks on the SB12 from Herbie. Okay. You know, unbeknownst to Herbie at the time, like, when he would go on tour, you know, I would politely borrow his drum machines and bring them back and put them back to where <laughs> they were. Politely came back. Politely borrowed the drum Yes. So, <laughs> so... I kind of knew the, knew my way around. I just facilitate when I asked him to. Right. So he's in the other room sleep. <laughs> I make the rhythm. I make, you know, I make a few records off of the first album, make about six records off the first album within that uh, eight hour time. Right. And I passed the demo. I gave it, I did, but he gives it to Mr. Costa over mm -hmm. at um, Columbia. I give it to uh, Sylvia's son, he gives it to his moms. I pass it to Herbie. And within a few months period, her at this point,
So Her Herbie took Herbie took your demo and he went out and shot. Yeah, he didn't even tell me, mind you, because he was he was telling labels this is something that he produced. Mm. So he was getting his his deals that way, and he was the hottest producer out. So they're gonna be like, sure, right? Um, but then at the same time, I get the call from Columbia Records that they're interested, mm. and they sent me a, a like a. And you know, I, you know, I guess there was like a follow-up meeting that I was supposed to do, and then at the same time, Sylvia Robinson sends me a contract. Redhead signed with her already, so he helped facil push that along. So we were like, we were gonna be best friends on the label together, and it was me, Redhead, and a group called New Style, and everybody knows New Style as Naughty by Nature, oh, and we were going to be the flagship artists of Sylvia Robinson's new label. Um, Red was one year older than me. He was 17, and he signed the deal illegally. <laughs> and his mother found out. His mother's the chief of police, mind you. Of Inglewood. Yes. <laughs> so she wasn't a chief then, but she, I think she became, She ended up becoming a chief. His mom's is like, Yo, <laughs> she didn't even know he signed the contract. So right. she shut the whole thing down. Wow. And my, then I get these contracts and I'm, I I got a book bag full of contracts. Atlantic Records contract was like 250 pages long. Um, uh, Epic Records contract was like 300 pages long. Then I had the deal memo from Columbia, whatever the deal was, and then signed the, the next page. And, and, and meanwhile, you're a freshman in high school? I'm now a sophomore. You're a sophomore in high school. Okay. Yes. And I'm, I'm walking around with this crap in my bag. <laughs> and it's like, I want to tell my parents, because my father knows Stalin. He's like, what is wrong? And I'm scared to tell him, like, yo, I actually got something better than what you got, Pops. <laughs> you know, but, but, yes. um, I, my father definitely, both parents were very encouraging, mm. but my father seemed to wrap himself around it, meaning like, just to give you a brief view of how my father is, I was the type of guy where I was super into Prince. So one time I was, it was, <laughs> I was doing this um, talent show. I was going to do this talent show in school, and I was going to play Prince. It was either going to be Prince or Morris Day. For some reason, I decided to go with Prince. And y'all don't. My mom's blouse. <laughs> right. A guitar. Yeah. Um. And and I'm downstairs practicing. Let's go crazy. And my father like that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no no, I'm trying I'm trying to be Prince. And he's like, yeah. What? Yeah. He said, man, what the hell? Yo, my father is the funniest. I'm telling you, the funniest guy on the planet. Yeah. He's super cool, super reserved. But then when he snaps up. You, it just makes like I got stories for days on just on him alone, yeah. and he's like, "Man, get that goddamn blouse off, take that shit off." He's like, "I'm like, oh man, all right, all right." So he's like, "I'm gonna show you something," 
Right. So I'm thinking I'm in trouble. He takes me to the video store. There's no Blockbuster. This is no Blockbuster yet. No West Coast video. It's just the video store. And he's like, do you have a documentary on Jimi Hendrix? Do you have a documentary on Richard, Little Richard and James Brown? Mm. We get these movies on Little Richard, Jimi Hendrix, and James Brown, Prince. So I'm sitting here, I'm like zoned out to Hendrix, Richard, Little Richard, and James Brown. And I'm like, you know, he didn't discourage me from rocking with Prince. He just wanted to let me know that I didn't discover something. That he wanted you to know the origin. Yeah. 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 And I ended up going with Morris Day anyway, and, and being <laughs> Morris Day, which ended up being the template for my whole style. Any anyway, but wow. but but um, yeah, I was Morris Day, and my boys were the time, and we killed the talent show. <laughs> so I made the, I made a good decision. Um, but but flash forward back to I decided to go with Herbie, and we decided to go with um, Sylvia Roan at um, Atlantic Records. You know, I felt that I was in good company. Herbie was on top. I, he was who I looked up to. I was around familiar people. Um, that's 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 what I wanted to ask you about. In that moment, that relationship between you and Herbie was he like a mentor to you? Was he was just he was somebody I just really looked up to. You know okay. what I'm saying? He was, I guess, a mentor, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. You know, he, he can't be like a big brother because he was my friend's big brother right um but he was definitely somebody i admired I, I admired what he was doing because he was doing he was in a living embodiment of what i always do you feel like even before you had created this demo do you feel like he took you seriously as an artist even at oh, that no, no 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 they 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 understood what my capabilities were this wasn't my first demo i made one more demo before that that okay. i gave to him and he was like this this thing sucks um but <laughs> but um i don't think it sucked though it was kind of dope um but but even there like you know, I got it, you know, just, just being in, in that orbit, you know, my first demo and my second demo mm. were based on Georgette's mom was into the arts and we, she was like, you know, you know, every neighborhood has like the cool mom that everybody just hangs out at that house and the mom is real cool. So Georgette's mom was like that. And Georgette, her mom suggested the studio. She said, you should try this. It was a whole building full of studio. Go to this, I'm gonna send you to this studio. And if this studio doesn't work out, they sent me, she sent me to Paul C's studio. So um, I never knew what Georgette's mom did, but she was, then Steve, then Steve ended up dating another girl named Joyce, and who's now his wife. And Joyce's mom was the female singer of Chic. Good oh. times and stuff like that. So it was all this, all this um you were surrounded surrounded man it was just it was like you couldn't yeah. you couldn't uh you couldn't bounce it you couldn't bounce away from it so saying that um to that decision what was the decision that why why I, I just wanted to be down with with Herbie and them you know i met 
Sylvia, and Sylvia seemed like she just reminded me of like of of an aunt or a family member that I, you know, that I didn't have. Um, Sylvia Rhone, for those that don't know, legendary executive. Yeah, you know, <laughs> probably out of all the black executives in the music business right now, mm -hmm. there's no one, there's no black executive higher than Sylvia Rhone. That's just simple and plain. You just do not get higher than Sylvia. Um, and, and, you know, and then it was weird, like, my, my godfather was cool with Sylvia, with my godfather, and Sylvia looks at Kenny, hi, Kenny, and she's like, and he's like, hi, Sylvia, I'm like, oh, what a job, smash or something, like, what's going on, you know? You know, it, it, it was just one of those, um, right. wow. you know, it was just, you know, everything just seemed to connect. And Let me ask you this. I mean, what, what year is this, 86, 87? This is, this is 88, 87 going into 88. So you signed with Atlantic Records as a yes. sophomore in high school in yes. 88. Just, just so people... 16, I'm, I'm 16 and it's creeping into... Yeah, it's, it's, I'm in the middle of being 16, but it's like the summertime. So okay. I'm not even I'm and, going and, into junior year. And let me, and just so people have context, if if I may, can I ask? Yeah. 16 years old, signs with Atlantic Records, facilitated by Herbie Lovebug, signed by Sylvia Rome, legendary A&R executive. How much was that deal for? $60,000. God damn. Which I received, which being 16 years old. Yes. With an $11,000 check in my pocket for about a month, mind you. <laughs> right. Literally folded up in my pocket. And I'm like, I'm just like, okay, how many fat ropes can I get? <laughs> how many drum machines can I get? Right. Oh, I gotta make me a Kwame suit. <laughs> Dude, we're gonna get to all that shit. We're gonna get, to <laughs> but but so you signed for sixty thousand dollars. Now, are, are the people around you saying to you, "That's a great deal"? Well, I mean, sixty. No, because because it was Herbie's deal. Okay, so how did that work? So Herbie was the production company. Right. I was signed to, as his artist that he was going to produce. Okay, so. Um, the name of the the name of the production was Noise in the Attic Productions. Yeah. And Herbie was supposed to produce Kwame for sixty thousand dollars, and uh, that was the album budget. Now, um, was this he had he was, had my he had my publishing. Wow. A great publishing, and yeah. this is the thing. So, like I, I like I keep bringing up divorce, divorce, divorce. Yeah. I'm bringing that up because. The divorce lawyer looked at the record contract. The divorce lawyer. This story keeps getting better. <laughs> Kwame's contract. Okay. Yeah, and she's like, this is a good deal. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is a good deal. The divorce lawyer says this is a good deal, right? Okay. And I remember my mother talking to Herbie. I, remember my f I don't know if my father talked to Herbie. I know my mom did. Um, 
It's crazy. Yeah, go ahead. And and you know, my thought and my thought to this day is still the same. Yeah. It's not about the money. It's about the opportunity. Yeah. It's never about the money. Hundred percent. Everybody tries to. Everything that I've done in my life that has been big, I've gotten small payments for. Everything that I've done that has been small and and just dust in the wind, I've gotten huge payments for. You know, so maybe it's just me. I can't speak for everybody, but I I'm my age of 98 years old at this point. I understand that you have to weigh your opportunity with your your money and and it's it's again it's a tricky thing because there's no way to call it that's right but sixty thousand dollars forty thousand dollars for a song and you know so it's like right and that song didn't do anything so you know let's so i can and but the album is a it's considered by a lot of people a classic. 100%. So that's why I'm saying I can't I can't ever compare mm. dollars versus opportunity. And that's why I don't think anybody money mm. we all knew the opportunity. Mm. It was too much opportunity to be there. Kid and Play was doing a movie. Salt and Pepper was the number one rap artist out. You know, as soon as I came out, I was on a Salt and Pepper tour, and it was, you know, me, Salt and Pepper, Kid and Play, uh, MC Hammer, and we were doing thirty to fifty thousand people a night. Mm. So if I'm tripping over eleven thousand dollars or whatever, you know what I'm saying? That's right. the last thing I'm tripping. I'm in front of, I'm doing arenas every night while all of my peers. Right. The most they're going to do is Apollo Theater or some random kind of city, and I, we're doing arenas. So, so, um, I, I guess, I, I get the reason why I ask is number one for historical context, you know, like what were deals like back then? You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that was the first question. That, that was the first reason I asked because that it's just interesting, you know, to hear what state hip hop was in at that point, you know. And absolutely. What if you would have turned that down? What if you'd have been like, oh, no, 60 grand. I ain't signing that. You, you know what I mean? Like, we would have never had all these moments. You know what I mean? We and Think about think about this. But you also got to add inflation. You know, $60,000 in 1989. Yeah. It's a lot of money. I could buy a whole house. A lot of money. Yeah. I could buy a house in 1989. I could have bought a brownstone in Harlem that's worth $4 million now. Right. So let's understand what the, you know, so maybe it was a lot of money. I know $11,000 for a 16-year-old a, a kid. Yeah. With no driver's license <laughs> was a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and 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 I think the second album might have been a hundred and twenty thousand, mm. maybe eighty thousand. I know the third album was a hundred and twenty. I do know that because by the second and third album, I was controlling the budget, so I, I do know those prices a little bit better. But um, well, I, I mean, 
so let, let's 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 talk about this first album for a second because this was this was pivotal you, you know in my opinion in so many people's opinion in hip-hop history this was a pivotal a pivotal album on so many levels you know so the boy did it feel like an instant success to you it still don't it still doesn't um i think when you're on the inside looking out it's just it's just different you don't you don't see it how other people see it of course yes. and at the same my nature i'm not how do i put it my hu my humility is way more than i think most so i don't weigh things you know I, I i don't know what i don't it's it's hard to explain i just it's linear for me i just keep going 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 so with the first album it's weird i tell this story a lot i remember it coming out and it's funny i remember it coming out and in new york we had this show called video music box and that was how we all saw our videos and i remember and then we also had Mr. Magic, Molly Mall, and Red Alert. And I remember one Friday night that came out and Mr. Magic played an album cut, didn't play the single, played an album cut. And I remember it, if anybody watched the five heartbeats and when they hear that record on the radio and you start spazzing out, trust me, it was me, uh, my best friend at the time, um, uh, group member A Sharp, and we were in his house and we heard the record and we lost it. Lost our brains. We were, what song was it? What song was this that they were playing? Um, you Gots to Get Down. You Gots to Get Down, okay. Mm -hmm. so, oh shit, we all missed the magic. And that's all we really wanted, to be honest with you. We were, you know, um, so far to the point, I didn't even mention a previous deal, pre-Herbie, pre-all of that, there was a guy that uh, his name was P. Fine, and he had this um, music show on NYU, and they played all the new shit first. And I remember P. Fine to play it. We went up to NYU to play the, the song off the demo, and he was like, I'm not going to play your song. I'm going to give you a record deal. Mm -hmm. He had this label, G Street Records, and I can't remember who was on her label, but somebody somebody consequent you know really responsible for classic hip-hop was on that label i just don't remember at the time um and he he offered the deal and we were like no we just need you to play this record so we could go to school on monday be hot like we <laughs> record deal so we were just hype on the radio at the time so flash forward to 89 the record's being played and and then the next week ralph mcdaniels at uh um, video Music Box plays the single, the video, Man We All Know and Love. I'm like, I'm a superstar. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Video Music Box. I'm a superstar. We get on the train. We go to this area of New York, Greenwich Village, and we're just standing there on the corner. Somebody gonna recognize me because I was just on Video Music Box um, <laughs> and nobody, we got no play. Nobody recognizes for nothing. So, we didn't know where things were going to be. And we ended up getting a show in Philly. Our first show was in this club called After Midnight. And 
it was a 21 and older club. So here's my 16 year old going on 17 year old ass in this, in this, um, and I remember my DJ, my original DJ B flat, uh, rest in peace. A, a sharp, huh? A sharp and B flat. Yep, we have yep. A sharp, B flat, and our other band member C major, and you know, <laughs> and and we get on stage, and I'm like, yeah, my name's Kwame. Now I I remember this like yesterday. The crowd is quiet, and I just remember somebody in the back going, and B got a flat head. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, Philly does not go to not messing with us. And we're doing, I'm doing the rhythm, I'm doing the man we all know and love, and they're like, bring, because we were opening up for G Rap and Queen Latifah. They were like, will you please bring Cool G Rap on stage at this point? Like, God, get this kid out of here. So, so, you know, G Rap is like, you know, we're from the same neighborhood, so we're in the dress room together, we're hanging out. G Rap is like, man, don't, he's the, G-Rap is the most encouraging you would ever meet. Uh, Outside of that gangster exterior, right. G-Rap is probably the coolest guy I know. So G is like, man, don't worry about him. They're going to see how dope you are, man. They're going to see how you got them lyrics. You know, like, he was really into my lyrics. He was, you know, he understood what I was doing. And, and um, you know, and then he got on stage and he hyped me up even more. And he's like, yeah, Kwame, he's going to be a star. Y'all y'all sleeping, y'all sleeping. And right. so the next day, the very next day, there's a mall in Philly called Sheltonham Mall. And we have to do an in-store. We go into this record store. I don't know. I can't remember the name of the store in Sheltonham Mall. And we go into the store, and we're bummed out from the night before. I'm like, all right, we're about to go sign four records maybe and be in and out. We get there. Um... We get to Sheltonham Mall, and the mall got shut down because it was over like door. To get to get a sign. Yeah. To get to this sign. So we're sitting there like, is Gucci Rap coming? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because they're not here for me. Right. And all these kids, like, it was packed. They had to literally close it down. And... How, um, just, just so I have the timeline here, how soon after the album was released was this? A couple of months, a month, if that. Okay. Um, I know that it wasn't, it was spring, but it wasn't all the way warm yet. And and this is the thing. I never no. remember the month that my first album came out. Everybody tells me it was in January, so I go with January. Right. Um, I remember filming the video in March. Yeah. I do remember that. So this is around in March, April, maybe April, May. Uh, um, but it, I remember it being cold. Um, did that? Did the out? So did the album take off in Philly before New York? I don't even know. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. But cause this is weird. This is this is where it gets weird. Uh -huh. So we do the in store. And then we go to another part of Pennsylvania, the capital of Pennsylvania, Sweet Tea. I get on stage, and it's a theater. It's like maybe 1,200 people in the theater. And I would say six to 800 of the people in the theater had on polka dots. The guys had flat tops with blonde streaks. The girls. So I walk on, I remember I walk on stage. Sweet T's in the back giggling, 
I'm like, literally, I said on the mic, I was like, y'all are fucking with me. And I walked off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Herbie put, I thought Herbie and Toy pulled some practical joke on me. And I was like, I ain't going on that stage. Y'all think y'all, y'all trying to play me because I, because because the, the, the what people didn't understand, I only had a polka dot shirt. One shirt, a white shirt with black dots. Mm. No, two shirts and a black shirt with white dots. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, folks together, I'm like, those are just the shirts that I had to go with black and white. That was the best thing to match is black and white. Mm. Um, so, I didn't understand what was happening. Mm. Mm. And then from Harrisburg, we went to other cities, and the same thing was happening. Same. The rhythm was the number one record in New York. You know what I'm saying? The Man We All Know and Love was a number one record. And then the rhythm became a number one record, because now we're going into the summertime. Right. And, and now the rhythm was out. And I, I, I did not, you know, now I'm on tour. I'm going to... Uh, uh, cities like I see I see Katanda J in here. I'm, I'm shouting her out because we go to Kalamazoo. <laughs> She's from Kalamazoo. You know, I'm like I don't can't even believe I'm doing a show in Kalamazoo. We're doing a show in a hockey arena, and anybody knows hockey arenas. It has like the glass, you know, the glass that yeah. partitions, yeah, right by by where the seats are, right. So we're on this ice or where the ice is supposed to be it's cold as hell in this arena and girls were like taking off their shirt and putting them on the glass we were like yeah we were <laughs> we were going to cities like that we were going places that a new york kid would not ever imagine you know being i remember playing uh uh el paso texas mm -hmm. and the majority of the audience were either white, Native American, or or you know Native. I'm saying because I'm seeing other cultures now. I'm going to all these other, other um, other 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 cities and other cultures and other vibes. And I'm and I'm I'm on tour with NWA. I'm on tour with. Ice Cube, I'm on tour with Public Enemy, you know, and we're doing all these cities, and then I get back to New York. Yeah. And it's like, every, I'm like, I still couldn't believe it. I think, I think for me, I never got in, I was never stuck on myself, you know yeah. what I'm saying, or any of my, and I always acknowledged there were so many other rappers that were doing way more than me. Of this this period you know what i mean because i think that um like i said i mean it was such a pivotal moment in hip-hop for for a number of reasons number one for me i think we're about the same age yeah know? and and for me there was this wave that happened in the late 80s of very young high quality music and they were very successful from yourself you mentioned Redhead Kingpin, mm -hmm. Special Ed, mm -hmm. all kind of in this era. And it was in 
I mean, you, you've got, if you're looking at a Venn diagram, I mean, all these circles are coming together with kind of Kwame's in the middle here because you have that, so you have this young wave of hip-hop. You're part of this wave with, with Kid and Play, Salt Pepper, Herbie Love, Herbie Love Club. Yep. You're in the Yaps era now. Yep. That completely changed the game because one of the biggest things I think that you get credit for is this really distinctive visual aesthetic, you, you know, obviously with the polka dots, yeah, with the video. The whole squad was, like, consistent with that theme. Yeah. It was a movement, you know? Yeah. And yeah. we wouldn't have known this without your TV raps. And so, and this is something that, that I think shaped hip-hop for years to come was this, this this conscious effort, polka dots were the only shirt that you had at that moment. Mm -hmm. But but you had to know at some point that this was something that was catching on. Yeah, but it was deeper than deeper than that. Mm. Um, we resonated. We res. We resonated with the the different kid, maybe the creative kid, maybe the daydreaming kid, the kid that loved toys and comic books and hip hop mm. and cartoons and maybe was considered a nerd, even though, cause hip hop was so, uh, uh, the, the new, the new catchphrase is toxic masculinity. So, so much we represented the kids that that loved this music but may not have been a part of the cliche. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was between me, between De La. De La really kind of set that off. It's and that was like De La's thing. My thing was I don't rock. I'm not a hippie per se. I'm not a thug. I like to dress up. Yeah. I like to, you know, dress differently. Mm -hmm. um, my point of views are different. And, and, and we would have never known this about you, though, without yeah. TV raps, without yeah, yeah. without the video. Yes, yeah. and and I and I made it a point. Every video, every video I did, I either I def I wrote every video. Mm used to say that, yeah, I directed all these videos, but I had to have help from actual real directors. Um, the but, vision. The yeah, vision. They, they, they facilitated my vision. Right. Um, and the directors of my videos went on to do incredible things. You know, the, like Millicent Shelton is, if you look up her discography, she is probably, it's way too many TV shows that she directs that I, I cannot, you name a show, Millicent directs it. Um, um, did she do? Did she do the man we all know and love? Did she direct that video? No, a guy named Paris Barclay did Mar "Man We All Know and Love," the rhythm, and you got to get down. Paris Barclay, mm -hmm. his claim to fame: he is the executive producer and director of Sons of Anarchy. The Paris shouts to Millicent. Mm -hmm. Before they did all of this, they were doing Kwame videos. Um, <laughs> And and um, 
you know, between Paris, between Millicent, they helped me facilitate my vision. And I wanted to, I wanted to make a point. Every record that I said, every record that I had was an actual story. Mm -hmm. The way the records go. Um, and, and those videos were very important. Now, did I understand the importance of Yom TV raps? No, mm -hmm. I did not. Um, because when I was on Yom TV raps, I think the heyday of Yom TV raps, mm -hmm. and for me, it started and ended with Video Music Box in New York. Mm -hmm. Because we understood that Yom TV raps took it and made it mainstream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of rappers at the time, I don't think we had a disrespect for Yom TV raps, but it, because we understood that Yom TV raps was just a jack, a mm -hmm. corporate jack of mm -hmm. what we loved, which was Video Music Box. And we couldn't understand how Ralph McDaniels and Video Music Box wasn't on MTV mm. and how, you know, God rest the dead, Ted Demi took, literally took your video music box and put it on right. MTV. Right. So, so, so as a rap community, you know, we're, you know, yeah. we're cool with it and everything, but. Well, that, that may be true. You know, that may be true, but, but as a fan, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fans don't know. As somebody who was also 15, 16, 17 at the time, I couldn't go to these that you were playing at. You know, you were probably playing some of these concerts and it, you might not even have been able to legally be there that you were playing. I'm, you, you know what I mean? I'm guessing. But, like, I couldn't go to these concerts. And yeah. all we had was Young TV raps. And I'm seeing this and I'm like, this is perfect for this moment. You know, there's so much thought going into, it's no longer just 12 inches anymore, like Supernature making 12 inches. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, these are albums with album covers and videos and video budgets. We all know and love, and it's very clear that this dude has a vision about who he wants to be. Yeah how he wants his crew and his movement to be perceived, you know? And this is what, to me, is what's incredibly special about you, in my opinion. And, and this is why, at that time and, and beyond, because this is what, when I said at the top of the conversation, I mean, this man is an inventor, you know? I mean, he created this persona, you know? And it, in, I not everybody in my high school and younger, had polka dye shirts, had high top fades with blonde streaks. The homies had polka dot blonde blonde polka dots in the high top. I mean, if that could have been monetized today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just it, it was such an and, and for you to have that vision at such a young age, you know. It's really amazing, and it, and and these conversations that I'm having with you, it, it explains much. Um, did you get the feeling? I mean, I remember watching Young TV raps at one time, and he's pulling up in a polka dot 
Rock top cabrio. I, well, I'm trying to find it. I'm trying. I'm literally, literally, literally trying to find one now. <laughs> I want that car back. Um, but that's the commitment that we saw mm -hmm. to to this vision. You know, we saw a commitment to this vision. It was, it it, it was it was really remarkable, you know, as, and I, I was so affected by that as a kid, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I think, um, I think to what you said, it was not a, it was never a persona. Mm. That's just to make sure people understood who I was, who I am, mm -hmm. um, at all times, you know, and that, you know, skipping lent to my quote-unquote departure mm -hmm. because when hip-hop changed, you know, mm -hmm. it was now, okay, Kwame, you got to get like a bat with some nails in it and <laughs> put on, you know, kill the flat top. Right. Put some, 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 some braids in it and, and some 40 belows and, and you got to be from the streets, Kwame. <laughs> it's, 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 I, you know other rappers were able to circumnavigate that I think that I could have easily circumnavigated it I, you know uh, Tribe Called Quest is pretty much an offshoot of what I was starting to do anyway so that way but I was so offended mm -hmm. literally so offended by record executives trying to quote unquote turn me into a guy who just got out of the jail. Now now what what time period are we talking about here? Are we talking about in between the first and second album or are we talking about like like This is now this is now ninety one, ninety two. So first album drops, does well. Yeah. Um how, how many how many copies did 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 uh, was the gold album. That was it? <laughs> yeah. Which is a big deal back then. That was a big deal. 100,000 records was a big deal back then. So You're a you know, gold artist. Um, but that's a, it's a controversial gold album. Mm. And How this so? is why. Mm. Um, I do not have a plaque for mm. that album. Mm. I know the album was gold. I actually saw the, the reports as 400,000... 900, I will never, I have the report somewhere, 400,962 copies sold. <laughs> right. But yet in 2020, mm -hmm. the album still sells. You mean to tell me that y'all didn't take it over the finish line? Right. <laughs> right. Trust me, and, and I'm not bragging. Trust me when I say that I'm not, I have multiple walls full of plaques. Mm -hmm. So it's not about the that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, have is fine. Mm. I want my plaque. <laughs> I, understand. If I had to wrap everything up and go home yeah. and take one plaque with me, yeah. I just want my Boy Genius plaque and call it a day. I understand. And, and I think I think I've been in like a revenge mode ever since then. So like twenty plaques later, it's like I still want <laughs> my well, boy to be black. I, I mean, 
you know, that, that's one of the things that I'm also getting from this conversation is, you know, at a very young age, you had this curiosity, you know, you, you had this expressiveness. And just by some of the things that you're saying, and you know what you wanted. No, Paul, see, I don't need your help. Go to sleep in the other room. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, Herb, don't even worry about it. I'll go get my own deal. Dad, the deal that I went out and got on my own is better than the one that you came up with me. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, to this day, I want revenge for my plaque that I never got. <laughs> you know? And I think... But it could be to a detriment as well. But go on, go on. I understand what you're saying. Well, I mean, this this is what I'm hearing. You, you, you know what I mean? And and I it, it makes sense now because I think that kind of vision and that kind of strength and kind of headstrongness at a very early age to pull all this shit off. I mean, let's just be honest. You know what I mean? At that age, you know, I mean, you're a sophomore freshman in high school taking the bus back and forth from New Jersey to New York to make this dream happen. You know, that shows a certain kind of maturity and a certain a certain focus that I don't think a lot of kids have at that age. You know what I mean? Like, that's right. So, you know, and I think as, as we move along in this journey, I feel like it's shown itself in other ways. I mean, you know, as you move through to your, maybe for a hip, true hip hop fans was, I mean, I know as a fan of yours, the second album maybe wasn't my favorite Kwame album, you know, mm -hmm. but I, it was it was more successful, wasn't it? I sold more, it had bigger hits. Well, this is the thing about me, and I think sometimes to a fault. Mm than a music artist. And the reason why I say that is because I experiment. Everything I do is an experiment. Let's see if this works. Let's see if that works. Where another artist will be like, okay, we have a formula. We're going to stick to it until it falls off the shelf. That's never been me. And I think that's a detriment. So first album was about me expressed to let people know that I am not weak lyrically whatsoever um, and expressing myself that I can make these beats, I can spit these lyrics and I can tell some stories and be funny as well. It was more about an introduction of the things that I was made up. It was a concept. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about the hardest beats or the, the you know, that was still within me, but it was a literally a concept of a day in my life as a high school student, right. as a fun-loving yeah. kid. It was purely a concept. It was supposed to, you know, things like what Beyonce and all these other artists do now. The whole point of this album was, I stepped to Sylvia, I was like, look, I'm going to do an album called A Day in I want to make a video for every song. I want to sell it on a VHS mm -hmm. as a long-form or short, long form video, short form movie. Um, and the album is going to be a soundtrack. That was going to be like my Purple Rain. Mm. Sylvia so was like, rappers don't do that. Wow. That makes no sense. Rappers don't do that. Wow. Um, no one does that. Only Michael Jackson. 
Mm. And my response is, why is Michael Jackson got to be the only guy to do that? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, that in, in videos, Prince does it in the film. Why yeah. can't I bring that to hip hop? Well, and this is why I go back to the the concept of you being an inventor. You know what I mean? You're not afraid to take these artistic, and a reinventor. You're not afraid to take these artistic risks, you know? Yeah. And um, I, I think that's really important to know. You, you, however, the. Yeah. You know, and that was the thing. And so, so with the single Only You, being a part of the album was not originally a part of the album. Mm. So, Only You, you know, I was now trying to break out as my own as a producer because i said you know i can't just you know my my idols are prince stevie wonder herbie and they're producing other people and i got to produce other people here and there but not really the way i wanted to and so i had the chance to produce vanessa williams you know um and i was like yo i was in love with vanessa williams she was gonna be my sugar mama she was gonna buy me a porsche and and she was gonna give me a baby the whole nine <laughs> and even though she was a good five, I mean, 10 years older than me, that's fine. Have her at the old folks' home and all that stuff, but that was going to be my wife. <laughs> and I was going to make, the best way I was going to get in was by making a hit record for her. So I made Only You. Only You was written for Vanessa Williams. Yes. So I wrote, I wrote the record for Vanessa Williams. Wow. And... And I was going to be wow. a guest star. I was going to be the guest rapper on Only You, mm. which in my mind was going to take me to another level. Mm. And she was love it so much that she would just ask me to move into her house. And she was going to <laughs> divorce her, her baseball playing husband. Right. Was he a basketball? I don't know what he, that baller guy, he was out the door and I was going to be, I was going to call her Ness Ness and we were just going to hang out. And so I made Only You, and they rejected it. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to keep it for myself. Mm. And, and at the time, there was a mandate on the radio day. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., yeah. DJs would literally say on the radio, you, we, if, if you can't stand this rap crap, mm. the no rap work day is for you. It's it, a lot of people don't realize this is the world that yeah. was back then. Yeah, yeah, and you know because most people listen to the radio while at work. Right. And and trust me when I tell you, any years old in 1989, 1990 was yeah. not rocking with hip hop. Period. Mm. Period. End the story. Like you see, like today, um, a rapper and a ball player would always be hanging out. Yeah. You know. Rappers and actors hang out. When we were ball players, wouldn't stand two feet next to us because we were the dregs of society. The only people we can hang out with drug dealers. Actors didn't hang out with us. Ball players didn't hang out with us. Politicians didn't hang out with us. Nobody wanted to be around a rapper. Yeah. So, um, and we ended up becoming the stereotype that they thought we were. Mm. That's the crazy thing about hip hop. We became everything they thought we were and didn't want to be around but that's a whole nother that's a whole nother story um so so um the no specific records were being played 
you know, rap rap records with singing hooks and stuff like that. Like Heavy D would get played, some mm -hmm. Salt and Pepper stuff would get played. Yeah. Um, or big pop rap records would get paid, played for the most part, but not, you know, not an NWA, definitely not NWA, definitely not, um, L, uh, not LL Cool J, um, was it Public Enemy? Um, so my thing was, okay, I'm going to make only you 50% hip hop, 50% R&B, 100% danceable. I want to hear my record at five o'clock in the morning. I want to hear my record at six o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning. So that was yeah. right. So it wasn't about pleasing the streets. It wasn't about any of that. It was about sticking it to those old ass program directors <laughs> at radio. You gonna play my stuff? Right. Period. I don't have to wait till Friday night at midnight to hear my record. I want to hear my record when I wake up in the morning. Yeah. That simple. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the quote unquote hip hop audience may not have messed with that song right. or that that album, but it what I was doing. I was kind of doing it for y'all. I was like, you know, somebody got to crack this door open right. to get these rap records played. Right. You know, and I'm not saying, I'm not taking, I'm not Martin Luther King out here. I'm just, I was trying to help push the door down. Yeah, and I see that now. You know, yeah. I see that now. I mean, I just remember, though, at the time, like, you know, within my crew, there were, like, the hardcore hip-hop heads. Mm -hmm. And then there were, like, that they were like, yeah. they they liked hip hop, but they wanted to be, they wanted hip hop they could dance to. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and for us, you know, there were these two factions. And the thing that was interesting about that album, and only you in particular, was that Kwame was the guy with that album that even within my own circle of friends was able to sort of unify that circle of friends because yeah, yeah. you know we all love the man we know I, you know the uh, uh the boy genius and then now my other group of friends you know yeah. and now that you said that the motivation behind making that song that makes a lot of sense and that's huge that's a milestone for hip-hop you know and i also gotta give it to my mom you know mm. it's funny thing i don't i don't think i ever told my mother i need to, i need to call her up and tell her this um I remember doing the rhythm and Mary on in love and all this stuff. And I remember dancing any of these records. <laughs> I'm like, what do you need to dance for? You don't need to dance on my stuff. Right. Um, and, and I'm, she would watch video music box with me. So like heavy D would be on. It's like, see, you can dance to that. Or, or like Houdini or somebody, you can dance to that. MC Hammer's dancing. Why don't you make a record like that? And I'm like, I will never make a record like MC Hammer. Like, come on, mom, stop. This is about the lyrics. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and, but, but what I, learned was the world was bigger than New York City. And yeah. seeing this world outside of New York City and seeing records that were doing better than mine and understanding the formula was that you have to sometimes step a little bit outside of your box and you gather more people into your only you, only you told you know, was a, a a general concept. It was about love and about being in love and being with the girl. Yeah. You know, even though I'm like what, uh eighteen at the time or whatever, um seventeen, eighteen, I'm like, you know, this is my perception. The most important record I've ever made is one of the big boys, the next single after that. Because one of the big boys literally reaffirmed 
for me, it was a self-affirmation self -affirmation record, but it was also telling other people, you do not have to be this stereotype that they are putting on us. Like, I don't have to have the ballets. I don't have to have the fat ropes. I don't have to have um, the bends or the blah, 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 blah. And those first records at that time, that was like the anti-establishment hip hop record. So of course, a lot of hardcore hip hop heads, they ain't gonna mess with none of that, you know? But I wasn't speaking to them because I understood that there was a, there was a kid out there that I was speaking to. And if, if, if my, my base got smaller, even I'm speaking to y'all where other rappers were just trying to rap and be hip hop. I'm literally trying to speak to specific people. Um, and I think I achieved that with that second album. You know, it's like. Yeah, and I mean, again, here, this is Kwame the Risk. And, and you knew that it may be unpopular with, with the, like the hardcore rock hip hop fans, you know, you, but you also, like you said, there's a world out there that's bigger than New York. You knew that there was, or you, from what you're saying, there was a faction out there that would respond positively to yeah. this style of hip hop. In the real world, how well? It, it did the, the, it did the same mm -hmm. as the first album, but only you did just as well. Now, let me get into some semantics, some, some business stuff. I was a victim of, you get a bump in budget and everything. Though I was controlling my own albums, I was still signed to Herbie's production company. Mm -hmm. And it's to my understanding that Sylvia and Herbie had an issue or Atlantic and Herbie may have had it up because if they bump the records up, they got to pay the production company and they got to pay out more money. So I think I felt victim mm. to that. You know, that's my conspiracy theory. Um, I don't think it's conspiracy. I think I pretty much know the actual fact of that. Um, connect with anybody that was gold. Yeah. Anybody that was platinum. Yes. I was neck and neck with all of them. So, are, so are, are, are you saying that because of a disagreement that Atlantic had w with Herbie and his company, you were, you were not able to get your budgets bumped up and you were not able to see some of those gains? Yeah, yeah, because if you, if you, if you commission an album platinum, you commission an album gold or, or anything like that, yeah. um, you had to adhere to this. Yes. Um, and at the and then at the same time, Sylvia was leaving Atlantic, so she wasn't going to fight for it. They gave her her own label, and she went on to control her own label, and and she brought she left. Yes. Um, and everybody got left behind, and then they split Atlantic in half, and called it Atlantic Street for all the the rappers. <laughs> And then Atlantic Cropper for all the, like the Gerald Averts and the Involves or whatever. Right. Um, and I had major beef with that. Okay. Major beef because that means you put a whole nother print on my label, and now they see Atlantic Street. Mm -hmm. I'm now subject to the no rap 
to only being played in mix shows. I'm you're 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 putting a label on me. Yeah. I'm already I already have Atlantic as a label on me. Now you do another label with some corny looking dancing man on the damn record and I'm like Right, right. Right. You know, and, and, and what I just wish I, I had the legal legal team to be able to finesse my own imprint and my own, you know, label and, and, and do things that way. Um but you know, at the same time as Herbie being a mentor, be careful who your mentors are. Because sometimes you can look up to people that, that how do I put it? Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I'm looking up to that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, he was taking care of business and he had a whole thing at his feet to me but I felt like looking back you know Herbie was like 23 24 years old right you know what I'm saying so it's like you can't blame him too too much he was a kid too yeah he's trying to figure it out like everybody yeah. else yeah um I remember like the play and I remember play turning 27 and all of us going Yo, plays an old man. How's he gonna continue to rap? He's 27, yo, man, it's crazy. And he got a whole kid. Oh my God, you know, I remember that being a whole thing. Yeah. You know, so that yeah. shows you how young everybody was. Right. Um, And we just did not have our business minds together. Well, period. The, it was just period. Period and the story. Well, the other thing is, you got to understand. I mean, I, what I, what a lot of people have to understand is, hip hop was also very young still. At yes. that, it wasn't looked as a business. You know, ten years old. Ten years old as a professional business. Right. I mean, you know, many of us at that time were just learning as we go. You know, it wasn't like rock or R and B or whatever. Where you have like forty, fifty years of legacy behind you. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But, but, but check this out. Even with rock, even with R&B, mm -hmm. to this day, in 2020, almost 100 years of legacy, people mm -hmm. still get jerked the exact same sure. way. Sure. So, so yeah. that doesn't even, the maturity of the genre means nothing because the thirst for achieving a dream outweighs the rational thought. Mm-hmm. Mm you know, so so when you have tunnel vision and you want your music out there and you want to achieve your your dream, your rational thoughts are not there. Like somebody should have been pulling me to the side and go, "Okay, you're known for your clothing. You need to start a clothing brand. Right. Yeah, you're known for your sound. You need to start your own label. Right. You're a producer. You need to do blah blah blah. You know, like all my clothes I was getting made." Mm. But I wanted them for me. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to sell them to anybody. Right. You know, um, um, but the but the I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that it, it, it's hard for for this gen for for this generation to understand that the business wasn't as evolved in those ways at that time. You know what I mean? Like now, oh yeah, sure, definitely. Let's go out and start a clothing line. No problem. Yeah. Get our own imprint. No, got two gold albums. You got radio hits. Of course, it makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at that time, those that precedent didn't really exist in hip hop, you know. And and those kind of examples you couldn't really point to. 
you know, in hip hop, you know, and, and I think that's, again, you were one of the artists in that era that these possibilities could be. Maybe they didn't exist at that time yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we could see the future. You know, we could see, you, you know, how important and marketable and um, valuable image was. Obviously, how important um, youth culture was. You know what I mean? And how, and, um, you know, I mean, you you took that, you made three albums for Atlantic, is that right? Yep. Four, four albums? For three, Atlantic. three. By the time you get into that third album, hip hop was just up. It was in a completely different place than when you had started. You by, know? The time, by the time the third album came out, the album negotiating and the 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 woman who sang on Only You, Tasha, mm -hmm. I got her. She, I start. I was going to start the imprint, and Sylvia gave me a deal for her. So I did her album and the third album at the same time. By the time those albums were completed, contracts renegotiated, hip hop was different. Yeah. It was a different thing. How so? Everybody had their bats with the nails in it and their lumberjack. Right. You know, everybody was a gangster, you know. Yeah. And the, the and, and this is a this is occurrence. It wasn't like style changed and no this was a control thing because you had two live crew you had nwa um those are the two culprits i want to say mm. um when i say culprits it was because they were making the type of music that everybody was banning um it was not supposed to reach the ears of the young minds of america mm. but it was selling the absolute most withheld. So anytime you tell a kid not to do something, that kid's gonna wanna do it. So now record labels understand that there's there's profit in the trauma of black youth and their thing is to now sign anything and everything that promotes that trauma, period. I sell fun, I sell stories, I sell fashion. Right. I sell imagination. Creativity, yes. imagination. Yes. I do not sell trauma. Right. And trauma is what was being sold. Right. And and any rapper being signed from ninety one, ninety two on out, um came in the door with that. Mm -hmm. You know, the prerequisite. Where are you from? I'm from the slums of blah, blah, blah. I'm from the sewers of, you know, like I did 28 years in jail and I'm only 17 years old. You know, it's like mm. to, um, to, uh, uh, to, you know, to, to getting a record deal. Yeah. Um, so where did that leave you? Where did that leave you? You know, as you're looking around and you're on this label and the whole musical landscape has changed, you know, or, you know. Picture being at a party that you're having all the fun at, right? Mm -hmm. Picture this, you're in, you're in the most fun party, there's girls, there's liquor, there's, you know, there's whatever you consider fun at a party. Right. 
and then a hundred thugs come in and to start fighting and shooting up the place. What are you gonna do? Mm. You're gonna get your shit and you're gonna go home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. And that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. I picked up my shit and I went home. I'm <laughs> I'm going home. And and this was 93, 92, 90. 92, 92. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going home and I'm like, I'm reevaluating my, my existence at this point because what I'm not going to do is be them. Right. And there's no diss to any of them. No, but, uh, but it's not me. You know, uh, I mean, you're never going to, you're never going to get me to be them. Well, again, this is a, a, a tenacious dude committed to his identity and his vision. You know, I mean, yeah. You know, I could have easily, you know, I could have easily threw on a backpack and, and a scully and right. ran real slow for, in front of corner stores in, in my video <laughs> with fire coming out of the well, fire I, coming out of the garbage can. I could have <laughs> easily done that. But that that speaks to your off person, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and um, you know, and, and I think probably one of the defining moments, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to bring this up, you know, but I think as as we talk about the changing of the guard yeah. in hip-hop, you know, everybody knows that's a fan of hip-hop. Everybody knows that's a fan of yours and yeah. hip -hop. Rest in peace. Around that time. Yeah. yeah. And um, one of the things that I really respected about that moment and I'd like to get your take on this. You know, mm -hmm. I'm sure this has been brought up a million times, but yeah. when he said what he said, yeah. and that, that, that in that moment, when big said what he said about you, he was so influential at that time. That could have been a career long term. You know what I mean? From mm -hmm. my perspective. But you didn't back down, and I respected that. Very vocal. You were very vocal. It was very visible. What was that moment like? So, well, that, I want to put some perspective on it. So for me, mm -hmm. I never. Let's be very, very clear. I never had a problem with Biggie. Never. Mm -hmm. Okay. I heard the song, mm. so I, I was aware of it. Mm. I like the song. Mm. I still like the song. Primo mm. beat and Big's lyrics, I think, are dope as shit. I, like, I'm never going to say anything against it. Ever, 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 ever. Um, we know too many of the same people. Mm -hmm. Like, way too many of the same people. Mm. So, for me, I looked at it as just a line. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just a line. It was like a, a line throughout that catalog. Right. So I was just fell victim of that thing. Right. So what I take it took issue with, and sometimes take issue with, is the fact that people are so easily Sway. You know, my movement was my movement. People enjoyed my movement. Um, people respected my movement. 
And because a new movement came, comes and, and it's like The Wiz. If anybody's seen The Wiz, you know, they get to that scene and they go, red is dead. You got to be seen in green and everybody turns green. Right. And they right. red. Yeah. When five, I'm like, it turned me off from the audience. Mm. And I'm like, if if y'all as a community of people that love hip hop are so quick mm -hmm. to dumpster me mm -hmm. for something that I'm nothing crazy, right? But you are now persecuting me mm -hmm. for being me. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna persecute me for being me, I don't want to have anything to do with none of y'all from this point out you know because all i've ever done i like I, like back before i i gave you me all i did was give you me i give you my stories i give you my experience i give you the shit that i'm into i, I give you me that's all i that's all i have so 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 are you saying that it, it wasn't even necessarily what big said it was that fans took it to heart that was the part that was that yeah yeah it was like all of a sudden yeah i'm written off mm. i can see if i was like oh kelly and i was messing with crazy like that and you yeah. say a rhyme and that yeah. cancels me yeah but you're canceling me mm. for being me right yeah you could have you could have you might as well you know and it's like and then it makes it even worse you cancel you're, you're trying to put a cancellation on me because of a shirt or has to quote right the line and it's it is what it is but it just shows the effect of what we now know it stands you know what i'm saying it's like it it's 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 deeper than just appreciating all forms of hip hop mm. um you know, and then, and and let me be real clear about something. Biggie was a boy. He was a, he was barely a man yeah. when he passed away. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm never going to have an ill feeling toward somebody like that. You know? Yeah. So for me to have ill will, I, I, I think about I think about if the shoe was on the other foot, how would my mother feel if I was lost that way? Mm. How would my family feel if I was lost that way? Mm. And and I don't even look at his impact on music because I know that this doesn't mean anything to me. I, I look at the the human aspect of it. So for me to to say, oh, how do you feel about big, big? You know, like he was a kid that that was in the beginning of his career. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and never gonna have ill will. It's probably the same age at the time. Yeah, yeah. But you were a veteran at that point. You know, you were a veteran. You you. You put out your first album at 16, you know, by the time that happened, you were on your third or fourth album. Am I right? Yeah. And 
you know, you, you had very different experiences and you were at different stages in your career. Yeah. You were the exact same age, though, you know, yeah. more, more yeah, or less. Yeah. But I think the perception was also that because you had all this history behind you, you were somehow older. You know? But it, when you really look at it, that wasn't the case. And, and before we got cut off, you know, what I said was that you responded to that. And you were, and me personally, I couldn't help but respect that. You know what I mean? Because, again, this is the theme. Yeah, we were, we were up against, well, we were up against an immovable object at the time. It's like, yeah, you know, I was a big deal, which I did not. And I ended up getting a crappy deal mm. with this label based in Atlanta. It was the best experience of my life, but it was a crappy, crappy, crappy deal. Mm. Um, and if you think <laughs> the uh, Atlantic deal was for low money, this deal was for no money. Um, and my thing was the record was roll over for no man on the planet. That's never gonna it's never gonna happen. Yeah. Um so my thing was um I'm a jokester. I like to play jokes, I like to tell jokes, I like to goof off. So before I even had the records out, the new records out, you know, people would ask me on the radio and I would super lay into me. I would crack jokes. I would just lay into this guy. So that personal because he would hear I'd be like on hot ninety seven or whatever going ham and um um taking the joking approach to it you know I'm never upset i'm never going to be bitter i'm never going to be the mad rapper it's right. never ever ever ever, ever going to happen so that happens and then i get to do a video and a single to a record called what's it like and being my cool exterior i went dark um the the uh i was very influenced by this movie called the crow at the time um brandon lee right rest in peace brandon lee yeah, yeah. and and i was very influenced who was killed and he resurrects as the superhero this avenging archangel superhero the crow um I love that movie. That was like my favorite, still favorite movie. And it reminded me of me. I was going through at the time. How so? You know, because it was me trying to reignite my career, me trying to, uh, trying to, um, rebuild. Rebuild. And then here comes something, uh, this new force of nature. And so the video is kind of like a take on the crow. In the video, it opens up with me um, and my, my boys, and we run into these girls, and these girls set us up. And they set us up, these guys come out of the alley, and they kill me, literally, in the video. And that was supposed to, and these guys represented hip hop at the time. All this stuff had like meanings. Like I was, <laughs> I sometimes be on my super 
behind read between the line stuff. So these guys kill me, and I reemerge as the all in all black. <laughs> Something that I would never wear in a video, I'm like on all black and, you know, uh, no flat top, no anything. And like the tone, like the way I'm dressed in the beginning of the video, you know, it's pretty much like a lighter tone. I got a t-shirt with a cartoon character, you know, pretty much how I dress now. Um, <laughs> and then and then I get killed and I'm, I'm in these black jeans and these black boots and these black leather jacket and this chain and I look like a, I don't know I just look like Ghost Rider and um, and I go seek revenge on every one of these guys who killed me and the, the crux of the song because a lot of people think the song because I made the song before that record even Biggie's record even came out the crux of the song was going at hip hop it was like, you know, y'all turned your back on me. Right. For no reason. Like, you know, and um and you know, it was almost like how Common ended up doing I Used to Love Her. Mm -hmm. I pretty much had that concept first, but it was spun in like more of a story kind of way. Like, you know, it was pretty much the same story that Common tells on I Used to Love Her. But he okay. just did it. <laughs> he he did it better. Um and um, so, so, so that's interesting. So in that moment, you know, previously you were one of the most successful hip hop artists of that moment, of that time previously, yeah. right? In the very recent past from that, from that time, you know, so hip hop had betrayed you. Did you feel like you were being tested in that moment? Like, yeah, yeah. I think, I think my... 21 year old brain felt betrayed but that's the problem mm. I thought that i embodied my form of hip-hop and the people that were rocking with me mm -hmm. were along the ride forever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not understanding that it was just a product and people decide to jump to whatever product they feel like tasting at the time right. um and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, when you put out music, you put out products, nothing personal about it in that sense. You can be, you could put your personal self into it, but yeah. you can't sit and rely on a fan base per se. That's just my, my thoughts about it. But at 21, I'm yeah. like, I did nothing to y'all and y'all, y'all hate me. You know, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good time you know, mentally for me, it was just not a good time. So I think, um, so within that video, I remember this, in the video, I got somebody to play a Biggie lookalike. Yeah. He had on, instead yes. of a bad boy jersey, he had on this jersey, said sad boy, and, and he was in a club. <laughs> and as he was performing, in the video, I'm just throwing throwing rocks and throwing things at him on stage, you know, just going at him because right. that was my only outlet right. to do it. It wasn't like now where, you know, somebody disses you and you could put out a diss record like that or whatever. Or I get, have, there was no outlets like that. Yeah, or, or get online or get on Instagram and start talking. Yeah, yeah, there, there was nothing like that. And I think if 
Instagram or anything like that existed at the time, trust me, it would be way bigger beef. Yeah. Because I would, 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 I would. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly what I'm talking about throughout this conversation. It's like, you know, we see this picture of this kid with so much fight and yeah. fortitude in him. You know what I mean? And I, I think that's the thing that's so interesting because he was so fucking huge at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said it was an immovable object. Most people would have been scared. You know what I mean? To, and, and, and that's why, you know, I think, but I, I understand now. Now that I've now that I've spoken to you and we kind of you know walked through the first half of your career. I mean, I, yeah. I understand now where that comes from. You know. You know, and it's so it's so funny because the label. I remember the label pulling me aside, like, "Dog, don't do this. Leave it alone. Don't do it. Leave it alone. Don't do it." And in all intents and purposes, the single did not do bad. Mm. You know, I was, you know, in several cities, I was a, it was a number one record in several cities. Um, so it didn't do bad. Uh, uh, but, <laughs> you know, I was highly advised to not. Well, I mean, wh wh what did they think? It would be career suicide or? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Like, right. You're already dead. Don't make yourself a zombie. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Lay down, lay down and take it. And and I'm like, nah, I'm not I'm not I'm not laying down. You're gonna kill me kill me all the way. Don't right. don't halfway do it. You know, so so um How, let me ask you this. How, uh, I mean, obviously you came out of it, you know, but what in that moment there did you eventually reconcile with Biggie or did you No no that no, never I remember I remember um it was a funny. There was, there was a funny moment. There was this. There was this club called Wild Out Wednesdays, and everybody would hang out this this club, and we were doing a showcase there. And um, I'm not gonna put the people that were with me on the spot, because there's still there's still people that I hang out with from time to time. But I'm not gonna put them on the spot. But it was me, and three other people, and. I'm 100% me. I'm in my my blazer and my hard bottoms and my slacks. And we were supposed to showcase the new album. So I walk in and I remember the first thing I see at the bar was this huge Coogee sweater. And within that Coogee sweater was the body of Christopher Wallace. Right. And, you know, he's there. The whole crew is there. And I make he doesn't pay attention to me. I don't pay attention to him. But you, but you know you're both there. You you yeah. But it was my event. Okay. You know okay. what I'm saying? So so I was the showcase artist that night. Right. Okay. So so um, I'm there, and just to give people a perspective, because this is funny as shit. I'm maybe. 
five, six, five, six and a half tops, a <laughs> hundred and at that time, 40 pounds. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not the hugest guy in the world. So Biggie is 900 pounds and six, eight, I don't know, six, three, six, two. And, and so the promoter instigates a confrontation, literally. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm back to 16-year-old Kwame. Oh, we trying to battle? What's up? I, you know, we can do this. You know, yeah. we got, you know, lyrics, whatever. What are we going to do? Win or lose, win, lose or draw. The mic's right. here. Let's go. Um, and, and, um, he didn't take it that way. Mm. So, um, How so? I, it's funny because I remember talking to little C's earlier, right before that moment. And he was super cool. Everybody was cool. And I remember, you know, Shit hurt the promoter going, well, Quam's over here, Big's over there. What y'all gonna do? What y'all gonna do? You know, what's And so I remember Big walking up to me, rolling a blunt. I'm trying to find something that could be the equivalent of the size of the blunt. <laughs> you know, the blunt was like this big. Yo, it was like the hugest blunt I've ever seen in my life, man. He's rolling this blunt. And he walks up to me. Yo, man, I don't appreciate you cracking them motherfucking jokes on me. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't appreciate you. you saying that bullshit you said on the record. Mind you, this dude is a zillion times bigger than me at this point. So I'm like, I don't care. We got to fight. We going to do whatever we going to do. And... I just remember I got I gotta I gotta show y'all how how this was happening. <laughs> so I'm standing there. Yeah. No, no, I gotta give y'all I gotta give y'all the experience. Let me hold on. Let me let me raise this. Right. So I'm standing here, and he goes big. Oh, I don't appreciate your shit. And I'm like, wow, I don't appreciate you doing <laughs> And then the dude's behind me. Right. So say this is me. Yeah. And my boys are behind me. As it's going on, they're going like this. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> they faded away. All the junior mafia dudes is coming up. Yo, yo, yo. And I turn around like, yo, I got my... Yo! <laughs> Man, I'm like, yo, what happened? These what? dudes are doing the straight Michael Jackson moonwalk. Yeah, they faded away. They faded away on you. Yeah. I'm like, man, come on. Wow. <laughs> I think one of my boys stayed. Yeah. And so it was like, that was our one and only mm. interaction. Okay. And it was funny at the time. Yeah. I remember everything happening and I'm in my brain 
cracking up. I'm like, and this is how I think. I'm like, this is going to make the best story ever. <laughs> oh, my God. Even if we start fighting, this is going to make the best story in right. life. Oh, man. Yeah. And, and, um, and, you know, that's what it was, man. It, it just ended up like that. So, so, okay, but what happened, though? What happened? So, your boy skated, basically. You're face to, well, you're like this, face to face with Big. Yeah. Face to stomach. <laughs> How did it end? That night? We both got kicked out. At the same time? You got kicked out of your own party? I got kicked out. They told me to leave through the back. Right. And they told him to leave through the front. And that was it. And that was it. And that was the last time you saw each other. That wasn't the last time we saw each other, but that was the last, that was the one and only time Interaction. we had a conversation. Yeah. Right. Okay. Wow. That's a great story, man. That's a great story. Wow. So then that happens. And then, um, you, you know, by the way, I, I rare, I, I can count on one hand. I do this every week, and I can count on one hand the amount of times we've done a part two. But, you know, this is so interesting for me, you know, and it's like, um, like I said, I mean, your whole movement was so important for me, you know. And uh, it's 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 amazing hearing these stories, man. You know, the story. And, and, and so as, as we talk about Kwame, the adventure and the re-event, that was was that the last album that you made as Kwame, the solo artist? Yep, yep. Was was ninety four, ninety three, ninety four, ninety four, ninety three, ninety four. And then you reemerged. I, I, I'm sure I'm getting I'm gonna miss some things here, but but you reemerged in two thousand as a producer. Yeah. As far as the rest of the world is concerned, you know what I mean. Yeah. How did you make that transformation? And why? Why did you make that transformation? So ironically, like I said, Ron Lawrence, who produced Hypnotize, Biggie's last um, big single. Yeah. Um, he grew up, you know, we grew up on the same block. And I was trying to come back out, trying to do, and I was letting him hear songs for his opinion. He was like, man, I don't know if you're going to be able to come back out as a rapper right now, but we can sell these beats. Mm. Started taking the beats around and and um, people were biting. You know, it was out of nowhere. You know, um, Mary J. Blige picked up track. The same within the same month's time, LL picked three, and I went from the the Matrix. I was back in the Matrix doing doing that and um you know and it was it wasn't like semi successful things they were huge big things you know ll's album at the time was the 10 album that's a platinum album mary's album was no more drama that's over 10 million sold um and and um you know that that kind of started it you know before that it was funny before that i was still doing music i was um going back and forth between new york and philly and every drug dealer or hustler in the street wanted to have a record label or a crew 
and I was just getting money producing for, for cats like that. Um, it's just straight hip hop. And I think for me, it was like, I was determined to make hard edged music to circumnavigate anything from the past. It wasn't like I was trying to run from the past, but it was like, it was like a thing like, yo, I'm gonna show y'all that it was more than just fun and good times. So, so I figured I wasn't going to be that kind of artist, but I can make that kind of music. So, um, doing all that, but, um, the, 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 the barrier breaker was the LL Cool J and the Mary J. Blige thing. And then Ron, Ron and I were getting a lot of stuff back to back, but I think it was one of those things. It was almost a Herbie situation, not quite, but it was, you know, under his production company. Um, and, but I, I totally understood what I was getting into, but I think once the word got out that it was me doing this. People just were coming to me directly, and and um, and it was a snowball effect. There's more more record. Mm -hmm. How was it different this time around, Ron, for you, the relationship with Ron? Yeah. Oh, um, the relationship was fine. The relationship was, you know, Ron. Ron was a very stand-up transparent person it wasn't like it wasn't like he was trying to take credit mm -hmm. for anything mm -hmm. but you know he was still he was still doing his job as a producer as well yeah. you know like if for example if i would do the track ron would go in and produce the vocals or ron would go in and facilitate so he was definitely doing his part um in it um maybe a little bit different with the ll cool j record because ll wrote the rhymes there i was there you know not guiding him along but he would be like so what do you think about this line what do you think about that line so we were doing that together and even on the ll records a lot of people don't know that you know one of one of the three records I'm on the hook, so it's pretty much a duet between um <laughs> I think how did you feel in that moment not being the quote unquote star anymore like you no, were... no, that 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 never thought that never went through my mind because like being in in the surroundings i like you know, that was my always my dream, working with big artists. Okay. Always, from the day one, I always wanted to do that. So how it felt in the, in the moment is I'm actually doing everything that I really wanted to do. So you were cool to Kwame the lead anymore. Yeah, that meant nothing. And actually, I wasn't even, you know, at the time, I was going, I wasn't even going under Kwame as a production name, it was K1 million. It was, I was joking around, like, I got a million beats to call me K1 million. I'm like right. a robot. Um, That's right, because I used to be like, who's this dude, K1 million? Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't about that. Yeah. It was about continuing a career mm. and not 
not continuing a hobby. It's two different things. You know, it's not it's not about being self self absorbed or anything like that. It's about this is a career. This made so. Um, and and let, let's let's talk about how that snowballed. I mean, I'm you know I'm just looking at the spring of artists that in that era, LL, Mary J. Lige, Keisha Cole, Missy Elliott. The Lloyd Banks joint was huge. Yeah. Christina Aguilera. You know, I mean, we're talking A-list artists of the time, you know. And yeah. this, this is a good, without your debut album. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's extraordinary, you know, if you think about it. I mean, to have this second life, this rebirth as a producer, and not just a producer, a producer, a guy that's doing tracks for the top names in the business at that time, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, that's really remarkable, man. You know, and I, and I think that's that's what I meant at the top when I said, you know, dude is a, he's not just an inventor, he's a reinventor, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it continues to this day, I mean, you know, Producing Vivian. Up the album today. Hey. So everybody cop that. It's called um, Love Absolute. Mm. Um, and it's her seventh studio album. It's the third album that I produced. She's on, on my label, Make Noise, um, partnered up with um, SRG uh, Universal uh, Music. And, um, and yeah, man, you know, it's our... It's our third venture and um it was number one on itunes today huge um huge yeah, you know i i woke up to that one i'm like what the hell um, amazing you know because it's like these things are great but i'm not sitting here waiting for things like that it's just about putting the work in and hope hopefully it, it it comes back to yes. you, um, and we're doing it very unconventionally. That's the thing. Um, this time around, we decided to be very unconventional with it and just drop an album, not play the game of the single going to radio and doing that tap dance. You know, we're probably going to have to do it at some point, um, but we wanted to just put out a great body of music mm. in a crazy time. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Um, um, people are home, still people, people are home, people are trying to figure things out. And we used the pandemic as a time of reflection and create creativity. Mm. And, and that album is a um, product of that. So um, I'm real proud. I'm real proud of the work that she she did on it, and you know the work that we did together. So I mean, this is I I, I think I read this is her fifth or sixth album. The seventh album. The seventh album. And and you, this is the third or fourth though that you've worked. The third together. that I third that I produced. Wow, that's yeah. big. That's big. And 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 it also goes to it lends to what you were saying. The reason, one of the, 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 one of the reasons behind doing that is 
I don't want to say I got frustrated as a producer, but as a producer, I'm, I'm as as a, a mainstream producer, I'm limited, mm-hmm. and I don't like being held to limitations yeah. at all. I just don't. I don't like it. That's clear. And, yeah. And um, and the limitations are especially in today's age. You have producers that sell beats for ninety nine cents. <laughs> not even I'm not even joking. All right, ninety nine. Yeah, we back. We lose him again. So apparently, what's happening is some people call my phone, and then when my phone gets called, all communications stop. And that's never happened before. I've been on a million lives, and my phone has rung. So, yeah. but what was I saying? Uh, I'm getting long winded. I know. I know you got stuff to do. I got stuff to do. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But um, we were talking about production, right? Yeah. And and yeah. So so back to with Vivian. Um, Vivian was a great example of me being almost frustrated as a producer. You know, as a producer, you have to tap dance and solicit yourself at all times. It doesn't matter how many records you've sold, how much work you've done. You always got to keep proving yourself to these A&R people. And it gets political and A&R is managing this producer and managing that writer. So those people get the single and you know now that we're living in the mixtape world and and uh, the two hundred dollar producer world, and so nobody wants to pay your fee anymore. You you know you you work real hard to put a record on an album, but now albums are only single driven, so your record gets no recognition if it's not the single. Nobody got time for that, man. You know, I'm I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of producers that have time for it, but I just didn't. Yeah. I didn't have too much time for that. I'm not saying I don't have the time for it. Right, but right. I needed I needed another outlet for the music because I'm sitting here and I'm making catalog after catalog of music. Yeah. That could not might not ever see the light of day. And why am I doing that? Mm-hmm. Um so so Vivian was pretty is like a godsend, you know, she shows up and we start working on this record and I I end up landing a um a deal, an imprint deal. Well, a label deal, a distribution deal, actually, and and um, now as a producer, if I see fit, I can control the amount of records that I have out per year. Mm. You know, it's that simple. It's like you know, like you, you, some A and R guy, you're not going to tell me, <laughs> right, that my record's going to be number fourteen on the album and never be the single. And it could be the best record on the album, but it's not the single because you manage the producer on that's the single. Right. You know, or or you're the you the AR wants to be the producer of the record. Like, I ain't got no time for that. Okay. So at, I mean, so so here's another blessing. You're at, at the stage in your career now where thirty years of experience now as an artist, a self produced artist, then a producer, now a producer for your own label. It's like you have all these experiences kind of culminating in this one moment now. Yeah. You have that kind of control, you know. You now have the imprint that Herbie had you on at one time or the production cut, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You now have the vehicle that 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 I'm in Ra Lauren had you under. You know what I mean? 
and you're making music on your own terms. Yeah. And you're doing whole albums. Yeah. And you're doing multiple albums. You have your own, you have control over your output. It seems pretty consistent with the guy that you are, you know? I mean, from, from um, an artist that you are, you know, based, based on this conversation, man. I, I think this has been an amazing conversation, man. Thank you. Like, like I said, I mean, of all the people, and I do this every week, of all the people that, that I've had on Mobile Homies, you've had the longest career, I think. You know, you're talking about a, a guy that came out in 88, man, you know, as a teenager. 88. It's a 32. 89. Don't put that extra year on me. 89. 89. So that's, a, I mean, that's a 20. I'm doing the math. That's a 31-year career. And you're still a young man. You know what I mean? And you yeah, still somebody, somebody wrote, my man Riley wrote this article. Yo, and I got so much heat for it. It was like um, five decades in the business. Yeah. And I'm like, five decades? What the hell? I'm not even... 50 years old, like we talking about, but he's right. Know, if you if you count the decades, it's five he's decades. But like yeah. all the old school cats that I know, like the Grandmaster cats, you know yeah. that level of cats, they're like, man, they can't be saying that about you, you know, because you you only came out in 1989. So that don't. I'm like, well, mathematically, <laughs> right? I mean, it's five decades, just like mathematically, yeah, y'all have six decades in the right. game, right? You know what I'm saying? So so. You want to do the math? Yeah, I think, but but I try my best to not think on those terms because, like I said, it's linear for me. Yeah, I don't have the rearview mirrors, so it's like, what do I do next? 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 And just hopefully somebody doesn't say to me one day, "Look, old man, stop." Yeah, you know. Um, is that is that what drives you now? Tomorrow. Thinking about tomorrow. Is yes, that it's all. That's all. That's the only thing that drives me. Okay. It's always driving. I am a professional daydreamer. Mm. That's all. That's all I am. Mm. If you want to really sum me up, I am a professional daydreamer slash schemer. I, I, I. All I do every day is scheme on what could possibly happen if I do this, that, or the third. Mm -hmm. I'm always, I'm consumed by that. Um, I used to get in a whole, too much trouble in school because of it. Um, yeah. And, and that's just it. Yeah. I, you, know, I, I'm, you know, I'm Willie Wonka, man. I'm just, it, it's, that's pretty much just it, man. I, and I don't, I don't like to put time on things. I don't like to put dates on things. I don't like to put age to anything. Let me just, go until I can't go and then yeah hopefully somebody else takes it from there I just I can't well you know I'll just I'll end it with this I mean I think that by far you know at least in my career and in my development you were a huge influence you know I mean I can't understate that you know because it, it showed me showed us what all the possibilities could be if you stay committed to your artistic vision you know you were committed to being different you were you were okay with that you know and yeah. you're just okay with that you celebrated it and i think that that spoke volumes for a lot of us that were sort of outside of what the norm was or you know and um that can't be understated you know that can't be understated so you know, and then 
in the second half, oh, man, we lost him. But I, I just want to say that – and in the current phase, the second half in the current phase of his career, I mean, he continues to inspire because he continues to show us what the, what the possibilities are as a veteran artist and as a creative in a very unforgiving and ever-changing game. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for – tuning in mobile homies very special conversation with Kwame thank you so much see y'all next week yo thank you for listening to mobile homies make sure you subscribe and hit me with a five star review on Spotify Apple or wherever you catch your podcast for more content hit up lyricsborn.com love y'all